0: Would you please join me as I pray. Our Father, we thank you for these moments. I'm really grateful that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you, God, are present with us. I'm thankful that you inspired this text and that you have full access to the inner workings of every heart in the room would you take this text and apply it to our hearts help us to be the sort of people that know what it means to wait on you the power of of positioning ourselves and adopting a posture of of waiting on you of finding our way into your heart and staying there knowing that that is where our direction power will come from And so I pray that wherever the men and women in this room feel the chaos or the anxiety of the moment, the things that are swirling in their lives that tempt them towards frantic activity, that as a result of sitting with this text this morning, that you would draw us back into patient, anticipatory waiting, trusting that you will tend to your people lead us into that place. I ask it, God, for your glory, for our joy. Would you come and do this work? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting a new series this morning on the importance and the power of waiting on God. We're calling it Hold That Pose. The idea of adopting a posture of waiting and staying in that posture sometimes can feel scary or exhausting or overwhelming, but we are convinced biblically that when we as a people wait on God, even when the circumstances are swirling and chaotic, that he will reveal himself, he will tend to his people, that there is power in waiting on God. This is true throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New. There are many places that we could look at, but I think it's important for us to recognize that this is a consistent theme for God's people. When Moses is setting the Israelites free from Egypt and his back is against the Red Sea and Pharaoh and the armies are pressing in, God tells them they just need to, they need to wait and watch him fight for them. It's not in their frantic activity that they are delivered, but it their they're waiting that they see God fight for them and deliver them. The prophet Isaiah tells the people that, yes, even in your youth, you will run and grow tired, but if you wait on me, you will be renewed and you will rise up on wings like eagles. Later on, he says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard a God like this, one who works for those who wait on him. In the New Testament, after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, the church continues to move forward in the empowerment of God as they wait This is the story of Pentecost and the way that the Holy Spirit fell on the church, empowering it for its mission. But then later in Acts 10 and again in Acts 13, the gospel moves forward in power. The church accomplishes what she was created to do as she waits on God, carving out times and places to peel away and to be hidden away in his heart. This is where power and direction and authority comes from. So for our purposes, over the next several weeks, taking this theme that runs through the whole of the scriptures, we're going to study it particularly in the book of the Psalms. The Psalms that are spirit-inspired prayers intended to teach us how to pray. We're going to survey several different Psalms where waiting is thematic, where it is an important part of what is happening in this exchange with the Lord. This morning in particular, we're looking at Psalm 25, penned by David, a man who certainly understood the necessity of and the power of waiting. He was anointed to be king when a teenager. He didn't ascend to the throne until he was 30. And in the interim, he spent at least eight years in the wilderness running from a king that wanted to kill him. You may know the story that Saul was chasing him through the wilderness. And for years, he had to wait on God to bring to fruition the promises that he had made. You see, so much of our life is lived in this in-between, between between the things that God has promised that he will do and the experience of not yet seeing it. We all live there all the time. And the question is, how are we going to respond? And most pointedly in our psalm this morning, the question is, how are you going to respond when trouble seems to be spiking around you? when it feels like a really intense and anxious system around you, how are we going to respond in that space? You may have noticed that as we read the psalm, the context of this psalm is of spiking trouble. You may have heard it in some of the words that were used. I I wanna go back and read some of these verses that are gonna establish a context, but just before we do, I want you to consider the way that circumstances and personal decisions are contributing to the trouble that is spiking in David's life. Every, every afternoon I make a smoothie for my family. It's an attempt to try to get some fruits and vegetables into my three very active boys. So I will come home and just take whatever we have and I dump it in a blender. Broccoli and spinach and kale and blueberries and strawberries and cherries. Like it's whatever we've got and whatever comes out that's what's being served. And the truth is when everything gets blended up you can't find where the bananas end and the kale starts you know it's all just the same thing i want you to hear the context of this psalm what you're going to see is that it's in a sense for david the trouble in his life it's like it's been blended it's like you can't find where the end of circumstances are and the start of my personal decisions and sin begin that's the way all of our pain and trouble is it never fits neatly into a category of oh, these are all the bad things that have happened to me, or I've just made so many bad decisions. It's always some combination of the two. And I want you to hear the context as trouble is spiking in David's life. Hear the way that this trouble that is a concoction of circumstances and choices works. Look at verse two and verses 16 through 19. So we understand the troubles that are spiking in his life. He says, oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. So we we hear there that there's enemies. There's people that are wishing David harm in this moment. And then later on, verse 16, he says, turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Okay, so there's enemies, and he's lonely, and he's afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Do you hear how it's all blended up? There are circumstances that are pressing. There are people that wish David harm and right in the midst of it, he says, and by the way, I'm a sinner that's contributing to the brokenness of my circumstances. As we lean in and try to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is teaching us in the Psalm about the power of waiting, I just want us first to to draw to mind in our own heads and hearts, what is the set of circumstances that most tempt you towards anxiety right now in your life? The combination of circumstantial pressures and sinful missteps that you have contributed to, like what does that look like for you in your life right now? We all deal with it and and what I've found is that in the situations that are most stressful and most anxious, it's where I'm tempted to grow most frantic. I feel like I've got to start managing everything. I've got to fix everything, you know? Many of you know we've been going through a lot in my house with a son that's been in and out of the hospital. We just got out for the third time, and he's at home. My family was actually supposed to be at this worship gathering, but my wife texted like 20 minutes ago, and she's like, things are not going well this morning. So if you think about it, pray for my family. The youngest is not feeling well again this morning, and it feels like that kind of churn. And I can blame it all in circumstances, the difficulty of life. I can go, oh, life's hard. But the truth is that in the midst of it, the way that I often respond is with sin and brokenness. Where life doesn't feel like it's playing according to the rules that I had established. I grow anxious and urgent. I start to try to manage everything, which oftentimes that's where anger bubbles up, where I'm short with my kids, or I'm not tender to a wife that's dealing with so much. You ever feel like that? Where life just presses in. I, I'll say this. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm like an achiever. I can fix things. So on Monday mornings, bright and early, I try to look at all the chaos of my life and I think if I can turn it into a to-do list that I can check off this week, if I can manage it and attack it, everything is going to be okay. <laughs> it's into that context where anxiety and trouble is spiking and where everything in us, we feel like I wanna try to manage and fix everything. It's into this space where David is going to say, listen, I have a different solution for you. I have a different Holy Spirit inspired response to trouble spiking in your life. And it's not trying to manage everything by your frantic activity, it's waiting. He counterintuitively says, are you in big trouble? Do you feel like everything is out of control? Wait. This is what this psalm is going to give us. And it's going to explain the five blessings or benefits from waiting, from staying in this posture in the heart of God. We just studied the book of Hebrews together and we learned that we have access to the heart of God right now continually. What we want to be is the sort of people that go there and stay there. And as we wait, Here are at least five blessings that will flow from that place. In the midst of your trouble, wait on the Lord, and here's what will come. One, when you wait on God in the midst of your troubles, he will protect you from shame. He will protect you from shame. When things feel like they're spiking out of control, one of the reasons that we feel so frantic is we feel like we're going to be exposed, we're going to be embarrassed, we're going to be shown wanting where our sin and circumstances are swirling about us, we think we've got to manage it, because if we don't, we're going to be the person that is standing in the midst of everything going, I don't know how it got so out of control. And into this space, I want you to hear the way that he talks about waiting relating to shame. Look in verse uh, three and verse 20 with me. It says this. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And again in verse 20, what he says is this, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. We don't know the the exact circumstances of David's life, but we know that he's in a moment where he feels like, if I don't fix this mess people are going to know how broken I am. This is the tension that he feels. And he says, wait, because you will protect me from shame. He says, the wantonly treacherous will be ashamed. There's an interesting play on words here because the word for treacherous in the Hebrew literally means to cover and to work in the secret place. So the idea is that David's temptation is to feel uncovered right now. Like his missteps are being displayed to the world and he's going, well, the temptation is to kind of cover up and try to fix everything. I've got a friend that I'm walking with through a really difficult season right now. He's a, he's a pastor in another, in another city that has just uh, made some really foolish decisions and they've been found out. An adulterous relationship that has put a lot of strain and heartache on his family and in his, on his church, his community. He's struggling to figure out, what do I do with this? the fact that I was capable of making these decisions and the fact that now people who are close to me are so hurt that they want, they want bad things for me. And so I'm the one who's created it, but now it's being exasperated by the people that were formerly close to me. He's going, what do I do? And the temptation in a moment where everything is broken and your decisions have helped to create the brokenness is to try to figure out how do I get really frantic And how do i control the narrative and fix every fix everything in everybody's mind how do i run around and clean everything up and make sure that i look okay and into that space what he and i have been rehearsing is what would it look like to wait to slow down in god's presence and realize that you cannot cleanse yourself you cannot fix the brokenness that you've created in the world and by the way, you can't manage everyone else. So much of our anxiety and fear emerges from this idea of I want to manage the world around me. I want to fix everything. And into this space, David has to come to a realization. God is the only one that can cover him. He He can't cover himself and fix all that is broken. He says, it's as I wait for you that you will cover and protect me from shame but the interesting thing is that's not all he starts there by saying the only way out the 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 only way to deal with the shame of your brokenness is to wait on god to sit right there to feel it but to feel it in his heart knowing you have access to him and then what flows along right behind it is this he knows the way out of your current trouble he knows the way out you right now whatever it is that is threatening to cause the most anxiety or unrest in your life circumstantially or by your own decisions or some combination thereof you are left wondering how is this going to be okay the second reason we wait on god is because he's the only one that knows the way out i want to show it to you in the text let me let me show it to you in verses four through seven look at the way that his waiting his waiting is not passive He is engaged in some work in the waiting and part of it is discerning with God what is the path towards healing and wholeness. Look at it with me in verse four and following. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgression. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. You see, in this moment where it feels so chaotic, David slows down and says, I'm going to wait on you all day long because you have paths and ways that you can make known to me. What I've found is that anxiety, when we respond to the craziness of the world around us with anxiety, it causes us to miss the way pretty frequently. We actually make matters worse. My wife has to deal with a man that is fairly neurotic, which I feel for her. Uh, I, I like really, really care about being on time all the time. I am a little bit of slave to the clock, which means my wife has to deal with this. And sometimes I feel this pressure, even when there's not like a certain time. It's not like anything's about to start. I just always feel late. I'm like, well, we got to get going. We got to. She's always like, well, why? <laughs> What's that? Why? And uh, I remember recently we were going to go see my parents in East Texas. gotta yeah, take 45 north out of town. And there was no set time for us to arrive. There was nobody checking the clock but I felt this like, we're late, we gotta get going. Why are we not loaded up? Let's go, let's go. And we finally get in the car and it was a little tense cause I wasn't handling myself very well. It's like, all right, we ready? Everybody in, we got everything. And we started to drive out and Ashley made the comment, you know, I think it would probably be wise for us to actually kind of backtrack and go downtown to catch HOV to get out of town. And I was like, we're already late. We just need to get on the road, let's go, we can't. And she's like, I really think that would probably be, I was like, fine. If you navigate, you tell me where to turn, let's go find it, let's go. Not my best moment. So she says, go left, go right, we go, we get we get on the HOV and we start driving, and it's just dead stop traffic on 45, and we're cruising. You know, we're just flying in the HOV, and so I'm driving, it's quiet in the car. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Finn, my son in the back in the quiet goes, Wow, it really feels like this was the best route to take, huh? and uh like yeah thanks buddy um and it's in that it, it's a silly example but it's true that I spend so much of my life and so do you if we're honest that when we get anxious and bound up with trying to manage everything we often blow past, blow past the moments where God is actually leading us where he's actually at work where something productive and powerful and beautiful is happening, we're so busy trying to check everything off and fix everything that we miss what he's doing. He's actually saying, my paths, my ways will be made known to you when you wait for me all day long. When you slow down enough to peel off and settle into my heart and recognize that I'm not anxious, I'm not wringing my hands, I have good things for you if you will wait and trust me to carve out the path for you, to lead you into life. You see, if we will pause, if we will create a rhythm of hiding away in the heart of God, he will lead us into into health and wholeness, even in the midst of our stress, even where trouble is spiking. You say, he says, wait on me and I will protect you from shame. Wait on me and I will show you the way out. Wait on me because I am committed to myself. I love this prayer in verse 11, where as David is appealing to God, he isn't appealing to how hard he's working or how he's trying to fix everything or how he's got a plan to make everything right. His only appeal in the midst of the brokenness and the trouble is to the character of God himself. Hear this in verse 11. He says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. This psalm is so covenantal. It is built around the promises of God, the fact that God keeps his promises, his steadfast love and faithfulness to his people, that he is committed to those that are in covenanted relationship with him, And so David comes and he's saying, I am not claiming that I've done everything right. In fact, I'm freely admitting I've done a lot wrong. My guilt is very great and I'm very broken. But listen, God, we have commitment to one another. I am yours and you are mine. And what I know is this, you are committed to your own glory. You will uphold the beauty and the power of your name. You see, David in his waiting, there's, there's actually this beautiful wordplay on the word waiting in, in the Hebrew. It's like threads being woven together into a rope. That's what the word means. And the idea is that as we are woven around the character of God, as we are wrapped around him, he's going, that's the sort of waiting that we're talking about. Because when you, when your story is aligned with the glory of God, When you say, God, I am yours and I am broken, I am not appealing to your mercy for my sake, but for your sake, for your glory. Would you cleanse me and make me whole because I am yours and you are mine. When our story is wrapped around God's glory, his commitment is to himself. He will surely tend to his own. You see, David's appeal is to the character of God, not to his own hard work or his commitment to make everything right. You see, we wait because he will protect us from shame and show us the way out because he is committed to himself. The fourth one, the fourth, is I think my favorite of all. Wait because God befriends the humble. The sweet counsel and the friendship of God is available to those who have been stripped of all of their strength, all of their ability to manage life, You're waiting, like in these moments where anxiety is spiking, everything feels chaotic, and you feel like I should be doing something to fix this. And in that moment where you go back to the heart of God and you recognize, I don't have the tools to fix everything. It's not within my strength or my ability to fix my children To go and take care of the wayward one, to repair this relationship, to cleanse my reputation, to all the stuff that you can't do. In your waiting, you are so exposed to this reality, you don't have the power to do anything about it. And in that space, in that humility, God is free to come and to nestle in so close to you. Hear it in the text, the way that he loves and approaches those that are Humble and fearing his name. Look at verse, uh, look back with me at verse 9 and 12 through 15. It says this He leads the humble in what is right, he teaches the humble his way. Verse 12 Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well being. Doesn't that sound nice? is the one who's fearing God, who's humbled in his presence. He will abide in well-being. His offspring will inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Where it says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, the, the other translation, you might even have a footnote in your Bible for friendship, is the sweet counsel the sweet counsel of the Lord is present to the one who fears him, who's been humbled. I, uh, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God is alive and willing to meet with you? To reveal his secret counsel to you moment to moment and day to day. I think, honestly, if the cameras could roll on our life and walk with us through the day, what they would reveal is that we don't believe that. We might say we do, but functionally we don't believe that the sweet counsel of God is available to the one who fears his name and waits on him all day long. I My life is frequently not marked by humble waiting. It's marked by prideful hurry. It's the inverse. With proud energy, I'm going through trying to conquer the world and hold everything together. And God's going, listen, if you would be the sort of person that just peels away and enjoys my heart in the secret, continues to wait on me, and then walk with me in that posture, I will make my sweet counsel known to you. I will reveal myself to you. Martin Luther once wrote a letter to a friend that says, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I've got so much going on, I must pray for three hours today. <laughs> His point was, when the, when the pressures of the world are pressing in, if I don't have the time waiting on God, how can, I, how can I encounter the world in the ways that I need to? I think, honestly, my prideful hurry communicates that I don't think God is waiting in the secret place ready to empower me ready to lead me i think our prideful hurry is displaying to god into our own hearts we don't need your sweet counsel and friendship and what he's saying is if you would just stop for a second and admit you can't manage it all in that place i would come be with you i would cover your shame I would lead you out because, by the way, I'm the only one that knows the way out of this. I'm the only one that knows the correct paths that lead to life. Will you wait on me? You see, when we wait on him, he protects us from shame and he knows the way out because he's committed himself and he will befriend the humble. And lastly, he will deliver the integrous, the one that is full of integrity and upright. There's a really unexpected twist that takes place at the end of this psalm. You're going to see it in verse 21 that David is going to claim his own integrity and uprightness at the end of the psalm, to which if you're reading the psalm closely, you go, wait a second, wait a second. What you've said is that you're in the midst of trouble and your sin has contributed to it. Your transgression, your guilt is very great. That's the way David has described himself throughout this psalm. But he arrives at verse 21, and he's going to say, God, preserve me because of my integrity and my uprightness. What I want you to pay attention to is this. Pay attention to the word for in verse 21. What it's going to show us is this. Your commitment to waiting on God will restore your integrity. Let me see if I can show it to you in the text. Look at this. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 may integrity and uprightness preserve me for or because I wait for you. David, at the conclusion, is able to say, I am full of integrity and uprightness. Why? Because I'm waiting on you. God has never expected his children to be perfect. He's not expecting you to nail it every time. That's why he's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. There's a context within which your relationship takes shape. And it's this covenant of his love and his steadfast love and mercy that makes the relationship work as he continues to make promises and to cover over his people, even in the midst of their brokenness. And, And what David is saying is that if we would learn the rhythms of waiting on God, we could quit with the pretending and the straining and the anxiety of trying to fix everything and just come with all of our weakness and brokenness, and he's saying there in my presence, you will be made whole. That's what integrity means. You will be complete. As opposed to all of your prideful hurry, it just leaves you fractured. You're like a piece of a person and you've wounded and broken other relationships. Things grow tattered where prideful hurry shapes your life. But where humble waiting marks your life, he says, you will be whole and you will be restored. I will preserve you because you will be upright and you will be marked by integrity. I think at the the conclusion as we consider the blessings of waiting, I just want you to consider why it is that all of these blessings are ours. The blessings of God covering our shame and of showing us the way out, of of being committed to us even as he's committed to himself, the ways that he has befriended us and cares for us, all of these blessings are ours because the the son of David, Jesus, consider the way he would have prayed this prayer, that he actually forfeited all of those things. The blessings that come through the covenant, he did not receive. He received all of the curses. Jesus fulfilled all that we were intended to fulfill but in response he didn't get the blessings he got the curses he got the opposite of all of this he didn't have his shame covered his shame was exposed as he was stripped bare and nailed to a tree his shame was not covered by God and in the sense and David prays remember not my sin remember your mercy remember me but when he when the father looked on the son he remembered all of your sin and mine heaped on the sinless one And in that moment, he wasn't committed to his son. He turned his face away from him. He didn't befriend him. It says in the scriptures that it pleased the father to wound his own son. It pleased him to do so because of this reality. He was paying the price for all of the covenant faithlessness that we have contributed to. He was saying, pour out the curses on him. He wasn't delivered because of his integrity. He was destroyed for our lack of integrity. He was absorbing all that we deserved to absorb so that he could freely, in his resurrection power, say, I have absorbed the curses so that the blessings are yours. Listen, friends, I have accomplished all so that these truths are yours. All you have to do is wait and watch me fight for you. I will deliver you. I will tend to you. You don't have to manage. You don't have to scramble. It's not your furious energy, your frantic activity that will accomplish it. Just stop. You don't have to be frantic ever again. You don't have to fix it. You can't. Wait on God. If you are in trouble, if you feel like things are out of control, listen, wait on him. Turn your gaze upon Jesus and recognize that he will fight for you. We need only wait for him. Let me pray for us. Our Father, would you teach us how to be people of prayer this feels so counterintuitive and distant from our lives. I pray that where it feels like there's a gap between our lived experience and this text, that you would continue to teach us and to lead us. That we would be a people that understand the posture of waiting, of hiding away in your heart and being tended to by you. I pray for any of my friends right now that just feel caught in their sin and circumstances. They feel like they're trying to fix everything. It all feels so anxious and overwhelming. I pray that in your heart, they would find their freedom, their protection, their delivery. So we we ask you to come and to guide us. Holy Spirit, lead us into the heart of the Father. Teach us to wait there. I pray that in the coming weeks, we would be the sorts of people that inhabit this space more and more for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.